Welcome to the Fold and Chair podcast, powered by the Arkansas Public Policy Panel. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Fold and Chair podcast, powered by the Arkansas Public Policy Panel. I'm your host once again. It's me, Osiris Bali. We got another dope interview for y'all. Today, we got Tim Campbell. What's up, Tim? Osiris, what's good, my guy? Hey, man, you know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to live life, man, and stay positive. What about you? Oh, same old same, man. Just trying to wake up every day, man. I'm up. I'm, I'm living a day, man. So I don't got no complaints for you today, man. I'm I'm here, so. That's what's up. That's what's up. We're going to jump right into things, man. And so how we do it on the Photo Chair podcast, got to give a shout out to Shirley Chisholm, because that's where the title of the podcast comes from. No so, doubt. You know, one of her quotes in history, she said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. So, you know what I'm saying? Got to give a nod to Shirley Chisholm. I like that. I like that. Yeah, man. It's organizer talk right there. So, uh, we're we going to pop it off with our with our random questions. I know you are, uh, I know you know about it as a former athlete. This this segment is called Pick Six. Pick Six. Ski. Pick Six. So, <laughs> With this one, you know what I'm saying? You know, we ain't, we ain't yelling Oski, but you know what I'm saying? I got six random questions for you, man. They're real fun. And uh, hopefully, you know what I'm saying, you got some interesting answers for us and you can just, you know, have fun with these questions, but just for the listeners and get to know you. Yeah. All right, question number one, pick six. Uh, tell me who or what, who is one of your favorite athletes and why uh, they inspire you. Tracy McGrady. Um, Tracy McGrady was so slept on. I feel like he was an underdog, and I see myself as an underdog as well. Um, I just like his swagger. He wasn't really a bragger. Um, the man that put up 50 points and walked to the locker room like nothing happened, and I just admire that 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 type of um, energy, you know. Um, and, I, and, you know, like the old head say, I say, I always say, act like you've been there before. So give me that energy, man. So definitely Tracy McGrady from the Magics. Already. I like that question. I like that answer. I mean, because Tracy McGrady, if it weren't for some of them injuries, man, you know, he probably would have had a couple more MVPs. And, you know what I'm saying? Facts. Really, he a Hall of Famer regardless. Facts. All right. Question number two. Uh, pick six. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I like to think that I'm an introverted extrovert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm I'm uh actually in my own time I talk. I actually do talk and have conversation, but socially, uh, when I'm out and about, I can kind of be, you know, more observant, more off to the side a little bit. I'll speak a little bit, but I'm not really the one to just be dominating social conversations or nothing like that. You know, if I'm one on one, I'm one on one type of person, you know, if you got me one on one, you know, like I say, you probably get tired of me because I'm gonna do some talking. So I like to say I'm an introverted extrovert. Already, I got it, man. You got to sound like a lot of balance right there. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, question number three, pick six. I know you a person that do a lot of speaking engagements. Me, you know what I'm saying, when I get, have to speak in front of people, I got to kind of amp myself up. And one of the ways I do that was like with music, get my mind right. Get it so I want to ask you, you know what I'm saying? If you get ready to deliver, you know what I'm saying? A great speech, man, what song are you playing on the way to the venue to 
kind of get you in that mind frame to get you amped up, juiced up, ready to, to do your best job as a public speaker? Bro, I'm playing Nipsey Hustle. Picture me rolling. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I, I mean, the beat is catchy. It's kind of, you kind of get me in my upbeat type of vibe. Um, upbeat, I'm ready to, you know, engage. You kind of get me social, get me excited. Um, but also on the flip side, he's saying some real deal stuff in that song. Um, he's talking about the value of black men being able to make it home to your daughters, right? Yeah. Uh, and basically, you know, she needs you as a father, not as a convict or not as someone pushing tulips. Like, there's just some powerful stuff in that song, man. And um, and, and then, of course, it's kind of like, I'm going to make it back home, right? And I know for black men, that's a thing, right? And, I, and, I, and I'm surprised I don't hear more about that now. But just the idea of making it back home, um, it, it just sticks with me, man. Because, you know, in the black men world, is that's something that we worry about is, you know, just making it back home to our family and to our friends and, you know, that whole thing. Cause there's so many black men that, you know, you may be shaking their hand. You might be, um, you know, saying, all right, bro, already I see you later and you never see them again. They don't make it back yeah. home. So, man, Nipsey hustle, bro. Picture me rolling for sure. Got you, man. Shout out to Nipsey. And uh, next week, uh, August the 15th would be his birthday. And they honoring him with his uh Hollywood star on the Walk of Fame. So, oh, uh, that's what's up. That ain't no right on time, up. right there. No doubt. Right on time. All right, loving these answers, man. Question number four, pick six. Hey, what's the most beautiful place you've ever seen? A beautiful place I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, probably West Africa. Not ain't no probably the West Africa. Um. The Gambia. Uh, when I was living in West Africa for three years, bro, um, I was in the villages, and man, no lights, no water, no you know necessities that I knew of. But however, um, the culture was so rich, man, and it, it, it the, the humidity of the of the sun, and just you know just the, the days, just going up and 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 just going by they used to always say and when i was there that um the weeks go by fast but the days go by slow and i think yeah. that's some of the beauty that i seen man just having a long day but not like in a sense of like oh i did a lot but in a sense of like, i talked to a lot of people i probably ate with a few people i probably played with some kids right um and so i always love the gambian sunsets man it's like the sun is almost in your face so the the sun is literally burning orange as it's going down. So that's one of the most beautiful things that I can remember in terms of a place. Gotcha, gotcha. Gambia, bro, that sounds so dope. Africa taking it back. For sure. Question number five on the pick six. What is the most embarrassing thing that happened to you in high school? If you can share in high school? Yes. Oh, that's easy. So I was... um. <laughs> I was ninth grade. I went to Central, right? And I was with my boys. And um, I remember, you know, Central has a lot of stairs on the inside. Woo, <laughs> so um, my boy was like, let's have, you know, it's, it's, I think it was some uh, some young lady was going to come up the stairs and holler at us. And so <laughs> we were looking cool on the stairway. And um, so they was walking up the stairs. And um, everybody started to kind of sit down. I think two of my friends sat on a vent. Another one of my friends leaned up against the wall. And so I leaned up against the wall too, right? But it wasn't a wall. 
it was just an open door. So <laughs> I literally fell down in the door, like in front of the ladies. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. I, it, was, it, was, it was embarrassing for sure, bro. It was really Oh, man. Nostalgic, man. Nostalgic. Bringing back memories of when I went to Central, man. But that's, that's you know, it's ain't nothing. There's so many embarrassing moments that happen in high school, but it's always the ones where you try to be your coolest, man. You try to be too cool. <laughs> too cool. I had my tall tee on with my feelers, my khaki dickies. You know, oh. dickies was going crazy back then. I had the dicky shorts on. Uh, oh, so, really? yeah, man, I was, I was in the game until I dropped. <laughs> so, Probably had some force ones on too, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah. No creases. You know, we putting socks on them before we go to sleep, all that. Oh, really? Yeah, man. That's that's some good old days right there. Gotta love the childhood, man. Yeah. Already. Oh, all right. Question number six. We almost done. I mean, I'm not sorry. Uh that that was quick. That question number six, my bad. We on question number six. Big six. Um tell me, what is one of the ways that you like to decompress after having a long day or a stressful day. You know, you got a lot of work that you do in the community. You stay busy. What's one of the ways that you like to decompress, relax, get what you need? Uh, I think one of the main long day. Well, I think one of the main ways I like to, I'm a big reader. I'm a big avid for readers. I'm a big, big reader. I can pick up a book, man. If I give me a good page or two out of it, it kind of calms and eases me, man. I think I think in the next two years, three years, reading may be a thing of the past, you know. Um, everything, oh everything is YouTube University and TikTok University. So uh, yeah. it's a chance, man. But I, I, that's an art that I think that should never be lost, especially with people like myself uh, that 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 encourages youth to, you know, push. And, and reading was that thing for me that I found that was just like, you know what? I dealt with anger a lot growing up um a lot man but reading would always seem to kind of chill me and calm my mood man so definitely reading man and one of my favorite artists um and i say artists i say authors i think it's all the same yeah uh, it's uh amos wilson um a, a legendary brother the, that yeah. I, I i love he's almost poetic when he speaks um i listen to you know his youtube videos amos wilson uh, and I think the first book I ever picked up that really opened my mind up to anything, man, was Jiddu Krishnamurti. Uh, and I would advise anybody to pick up a Jiddu Krishnamurti book. He had a book on love. And I'm like, okay, what's this about? But it wasn't about romantic love. It was also a sense of like, you know, self-love and really, you know, find a definition of it for yourself. So, man, Jiddu Krishnamurti, Amos Wilson, Bill Hooks. I can go all day with my, my authors, man. But yeah, definitely reading. No doubt, bro. No doubt, man. I, I'm real big on, you know what I'm saying, promote literacy as well. So, you know what I'm saying, we definitely going to add that to the description in uh in this podcast episode because we love to recommend books and you know, just become a resource hub for just good literature. So, for sure. Man, hey, man, appreciate you, man, for playing with us on the pick six, man. I know, I know, I know man, you had some great answers, man, uh, but for everybody that's listening right now, man, this is an interview with Tim Campbell. I'll tell you a little bit about Tim Campbell that I just personally know. Uh, you know what I'm saying? 2022, he got the Lead Service Award by the Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Commission, recognizes the compliment, his accomplishments and initiatives 
as a young leader here in the city of Little Rock. Uh, he's also a commissioner for the Little Rock Racial and Cultural Diversity Commission since the summer of 2021. Uh, we asked to do some work together on that commission as well. Uh, you're a graduate of UAPB, also yep. a graduate of the Clint School of Public Service. Uh, man, you know what I'm saying? You uh, worked on the uh, task force to advance the state of law enforcement in Arkansas, which uh, was something that was formed in 2020 during the summer of resistance. Yep. So I ain't gonna say summer, the year of resistance. Yeah, yeah. And you, you were a Peace Corps volunteer and a community health facilitator in Gambia, which you mentioned earlier about going to Gambia. And uh, man, yeah. I'm saying you got your own nonprofit organization, the movement, and man, you. You one of the guys that I see just being super active all over the city. And also I seen recently you uh were one of the fellows, I believe, for the Think Social Impact or uh, the Movement Institute Fellowship. Yep. Yep. I just ran down a list of your accolades, but uh tell the people more about who you are, your story, and whatever else I didn't fail to mention. You know? Okay, okay. Well, uh my story, man. It's really interesting. It starts on a place called Wolf Street, man. Um, it's really uh, interesting, known for the gang banging in Little Rock or banging in Little Rock, as people call it now. Um, that whole era and the you know the HBO series and things like and things like that. But even before that, bro, I was I was just a young kid, man. My um, uh, my dad and my mom, you know on Wolf Street, but my grandma ended up taking me and she stayed in the South End, right on Whitmore Circle, right in front of Sunset Park. Um, and so that's when I I, I first kind of got a glimpse for football and, you know, wanting to play. And, you know, I was really adventurous, man. And um, I, shortly after that, I started playing football with the Little League uh, Razorbacks at six years old, five years old, I believe. And, um, and, I, and I, I originally wanted to play football because I used to see it on TV and I was watching the Florida Gators one time and uh, I would get so just just energized when I used to see the Florida Gators and they used to I remember sitting in my living room seeing them take out orange mouthpieces right and I thought it was an orange like a real orange I'm like okay that's, that's that makes sense but I'm like dang they, it's cool they get to play a sport while they like while they suck on oranges and that's dope right there you know what I'm saying that's <laughs> And I'm like, you know, that'd be cool. So I ended up playing football, man. And football was kind of like my poetry. Uh, it was the way I expressed myself. It was the way I um, articulated myself. It was the way I showed how, you know, dominant and powerful I could be. It also showed how um, how much of a leader I could be, but also at sometimes how humble and, you know, how um, endearing I could be at some t in, in, in times as well. So I think that Football definitely was a was was my canvas that I painted on very early in life, right. uh, and so my my grandma I ended up going to this private school, um, and I know everybody probably know the story now. You know me wanting to you know telling the people at the school I want to be a crip on career day, and it was this big thing, man. But actually, my grandma worked, my grandma worked in the kitchen. She was actually the cafeteria lady at the school. Um, so, you know, that was, that was the way she was paying for me to go to school actually. And she wasn't even really receiving any compensation. She was just, uh, you know, getting by to get by me and my auntie went to the school and she was the lunch lady. Um, and so that, that, that was kind of like a humble moment for me early on. And, you know, the situation with my, with, with, with my mother, my mother was, you know, 
kind of in the streets with the gang banging and the you know uh the street life and things like that so I really didn't get to see her as much as I wanted to but when I did see her um you know I was exposed to a lot as far as you know uh street mentality uh drugs gangs just a lot of different things I, I would be exposed to you know from her boyfriend she would date or you know it was just a lot for me to take in as a child and so, you know, I, I knew early not necessarily where to go, but I knew where not to go. You feel yeah. me? So yeah. um, when I got old enough, I knew football was my thing, man. I knew that, you know, even in the hood, like, well, you know, we raised in the hood, bro. You don't play football on no grass. You don't even get the- In the streets. Yeah, you play in the streets with your socks on. You know what I'm saying? And they knocking you out. <laughs> so it's just like being raised in that environment. You know what I'm saying? It made, made me a lot tougher too. You know, just like, you know, ain't no crying. It's no, you know, it's it's it's, it's no turning your back on your brother. It's, it's real deal, man. And you just kids. So um, I knew then, I knew early on, and I had a boy that told me, he was like, bro, if you play how you play on the streets, like you play at the school, that's when I was in middle school at the time. He said, man, you would be different. And I never forget forgot what he said, because I think that so oftentimes, like in our comfort zones, we're Michael Jordans. You feel me? Like yeah. we dominate the space when we when we comfortable, when we around the people that that make us feel comfortable in our family and our friends. But when we get out of that comfort space and we're around people that really don't know us like that, we in spaces that we really ain't familiar to, new locations, new new states, or whatever it may be for that person, that's when you know we kind of go in that shell a little bit. So mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, man, football led me all the way through, bro. I went to Dunbar up under Coach Monday. Um, and then I went to Cox, uh, at Central ninth through 12th grade, you know, yeah. where I was all state, all state athlete, all conference MVP and everything. So, um, after that, bro, went to college, went to UAPB. I had never really seen black leaders, bro, until I got to UAPB, you know, like, like seriously, you know, like I never seen like a black chancellor, you feel me? Like a black academic, you know what I'm saying? Like female that was just super intelligent and was I could go sit in her office and talk to her anytime or you know mm-hmm. a, really, a, a real big homie man like pulling up and Benz is doing it the right way and so that UAPB exposed me to more of the you know you can do this right if you just do it right um, but yeah that's just a little bit about my background bro already and so going to UAPB man I know that was uh, you, you said that was like the first time that you got to actually see like, you know what I'm saying, black scholars and leaders and uh, just on a, you know, on an HBCU campus, I feel like a lot of times, you know, when I'm mentoring the youth, I encourage them to like embrace going to those HBCUs and going to those colleges because one, you know what I'm saying, if you can go to college and not have to really come out of pocket or get some help with it, you know, that's going to be a great experience right there to just you have the chance to focus on your books, but two, it's right. a community. And that's the last time you're probably going to be an adult and be able to live in a community where everything is in a walking distance from you. And you can right. have people around you at the same, uh, or the same age at the same time, you know what I'm saying, that sharing the experience with you. But then last, you know what I'm saying, uh, what I was going to say is just, uh, and this will lead to my next question. HBCU experience is something that I feel like when you leaving home for the first time, 
it's easier for you to adjust because you might not have your mother, your father, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, or your or people that are your friends you grew up with, but that's the family is on that campus and you find somebody that's like a mother or a father figure. Uh, yeah, for sure. Or, or an uncle or just a mentor that embraced you like you one of their own family members. And that makes the college experience go uh, a little bit easier. Were you did you experience that at UAPB? Oh, no doubt, man. I gotta give out some shout outs now, man. Shout out to Miss Yates. She just passed away last year, but she was definitely she passed away October 13th of last year, man. And she was definitely like a mother to me. Um, because I was just kind of, you know, living a college life. I was kind of off to myself a little bit, but you know, she she I used to go in the library a lot, you know. And I don't know how candid I can be with you on this podcast. I don't really know what you you can do, you can say whatever you want to say, bro. Okay, okay, you know, it'd be different audiences. So, but yeah, you know, she said you pull your pants up, you know what I'm saying? You might get you a job in here one day. Cause I I would I, you know, I'll probably go hang out with my guys, but by the end of the night, I just go to the library, bro. And I didn't know why at the time, but I just go in there, probably smell like weed, pants sagging, but I knew, you know, I like to just look in the books, right? Mm -hmm. I had never really looked in books like that, but I look in the books, I probably like read a paragraph or something, and then I put it back, and then I pick up another one, and I put it back. And I'm like, dang, there's some stuff in here, you know what I'm saying? And she would mm -hmm. see me come in so much that she would start to talk to the uh, dean of the library, and basically, she was just telling him, like, hey, this young man, I want to help him out. And, um, you know, he really don't got a lot of money. You know, he's from Little Rock. He just kind of down here. He need, he need a reason to be in school. You know, I think we should give him a job up here at the library. And so, yeah, I ended up getting my first job on campus at the library, bro. But up under one condition. Don't smell like weed and pull your pants up. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, man, I just started, you know, I fell in love with books, man, and, and just kind of reading because I worked in the library, man. And just, I just think people underestimated what was in books. And um, I, and my boys, like, you know, they'll see me dropping off three and four books back to the library, man. Just like, hey, I got this book, bro. You know what I'm saying? And they was like, oh, okay, okay. You know, but they weren't really like, oh, what it's about. No real conversations about it, man. But when I got that job, Ms. Ella, Ms. Yates, Man, she really blessed me with something that I'm blessing the world with today. And I don't even think she know what she did. We stayed up in contact all the way up until the day she passed away, man. So uh, I'm even emotional talking about her, man, because I just think about, you know, those game changes. You're like, okay, where would I have been yeah. this person didn't show up, man? Like, I when she when I got back from Africa, she was still working in the library. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, would, I would take her home. I would pick her up because she was going through dialysis at the time. So I would pick her up, take her home, you know, take her to the grocery store, you know, just kind of look after her like the way she did me, man. Like I, like I should do for my elders. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, man, Miss Ev Evelyn Yates, man, like if, if, if your family listening, if they hear this, I just want, you know, you to know, them to know, you know, you changed my life for the better. So that definitely Mama Yates for sure. Man, yeah, man, I, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you mentioned Miss Yates. And man, because like I, like I say, man, you know, I always just try to encourage the students that do want to go experience their college experience to not overlook the HBCUs because you do get that quality education, but that community, that family, that's that sense, get that as well. And I, I, I can't guarantee you that you're going to get that anywhere, but I know it's more than likely going to happen. 
one of these historically black colleges and universities because that's just that's just our culture. That's just what we do. Right, right, for sure. But uh, you know, what I'm saying moving forward. And so, uh, you know, after you graduated from UAPB, man, and you talk about, you know, say all the things you've experienced at UAPB and how you got started, you know, the people that embraced you there, you know what I'm saying? What what made you uh, make that transition to want to go to Africa? And how did that inspire you to continue with your work that you're doing now? So I got to go back to Ms. Yates again, bro. Like, she, she had my... So my job at the library, bro, was to... Like if it was like a book that was um uh like torn up or you know something like that, you know I was supposed to throw it away in this big bin that they had in the back of the library, and then I was also responsible for um organizing books and everything. So I I ran across a lot of titles, right? And um I was a I was an artist. I used to love to draw. A lot of people don't know that, but I used to love to draw. My first major was actually art education. That was my first major at UAPB, but I just didn't like someone telling me how to draw. I want to do it myself. It's stubborn. Mm -hmm. But um, I had ran across this book, man. And it was just like a ge National Geographic, something simple. And I was just flipping through the pages, bro. And I'm just like, dang, you know, that'd be dope, man. I wonder how, you know, how they think. You know, like, I wonder how they feel every day. Or, you know, I just had them feelings. But I, I closed the book, man. I threw it away like I was supposed to. And I just never thought nothing too much about it. But I would see National Geographics with different, you know, cultures and different, you know, parts of Africa and India. And I was like, damn, that's just real dope. And so, man, one day I was looking, I was looking to graduate 2015. Um, and they basically was just like, you know, you can graduate 2016. You know, that's, you know, that's cool. You know, and I'm just like, all right, cool. Let me make a, let me make a decision. So the summer 2015, I was looking up cruises and everything like stuff. I want to travel when I got done with school. And so Peace Corps came up on Google, right? And I'm like, what's this? I'm just looking into different stuff. And then I'm looking into it. I'm like, okay, all right, whatever. And, um, but every day I start to look on their website every day, bro. Like every day looking on the Peace Corps website, like, you know, dang, they really sending like college kids over to college graduates over to, you know, different countries and stuff. And I seen that they had a cohort leaving in September of 16. And I was like, nah, that mean if I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna have to, um, I'm gonna have to suspend graduation and just go ahead and do it in December, right? So I could be able to go on a trip. Yeah. So um, I went on and took two extra classes, man. And um, by now, man, I'm refined, bro. Like I had already kind of changed my diet and the way I was thinking. Um, just kind of, you know, was moving a little different by now, you know, as I think I was like 21 years old, maybe 21, 22. And so I'm already kind of moving a little different by now, man. And I was just, you know, one day I was just sitting up, you know, drawing a, drawing a picture, bro. And I just ended up drawing this map of Africa. And that's when I knew. I said, yeah, I want to go to Africa. You know, I just started telling people word of mouth, like, yeah, which one do you graduate? And I think I want to go to Africa. You know what I'm saying? And, or certain people. I wasn't telling everybody, but that's, I mean, I feel like it still stems from like me being exposed, even through pictures or through the books in the library, you know, to me even put my mind in that direction. You feel me? Yeah. Nah, man, reading really definitely opened up the imagination, man. So, you know what I'm saying? Everything that happened was scheduled for you. And that's what, 
led you into your purpose. And, and so just just talk, uh, tell me more about like, since since uh, graduating from UAPB, since going to Africa, you know what I'm saying? What are some things that uh, you have accomplished, and, uh, been a part of since, you know, you've uh, graduated and, and got back here and uh, went to the Clinton School of Public Service? What are some things that you've been able to do and accomplish? Um, so at the Clinton School, um, if I'm accurate enough, I think I was one of their first African-American SGA presidents. Um, and I think that I thought that was really just dope, man, because I'm, I'm I, if you ask any of my friends, bro, they think I'm such a quiet cat, especially from back in the day, you know, like TT the one, you know, my nickname was TT, the one that don't say nothing, he don't really talk like that, right? But yeah. when I talk, it was always business. <laughs> like, so when I said something, it was something that probably mattered. Um, and so that kind of build my leadership skills, man. So uh, being able to be, you know, a leader in that space, bro, really, really, you know, flip my eyes, man, into like, okay, bro, you can do this. You know, this is this is not something that's like foreign to you. You know, you've been leading, but it hasn't necessarily been groups, you know. Um, so that's when I kind of tapped into that. And man, bro, like that, that was amazing to me. I think that uh, being able to build uh, UAPBs, um, uh peace corps prep organization that they have now okay. which yeah i was able to you know kind of uh be the you know compare uh put together the brick and mortar for that program they have to send because i had just came back in peace corps and a uh, lady man dr moore was already kind of working toward you know bringing me in to kind of build this program up and she already had the blueprint she just needed you know for me to kind of you know kind of spread my experience and you know my on the ground grassroots uh, a knowledge of the Peace Corps, right? And we build that program together, man. And it's still going, it's still successful. And, and you know, I had a young man hit me up like two months ago, like, hey, bro, like, thank you for everything. I'm headed to the Peace Corps. You're right. So yeah. um, that was just dope to me, man. Like, dang, like, you know, it's really, it's really ways and routes that, that, that can be prepared for our people. And we're preparing them right now. We just don't even know it. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, um, just the work, bro, is is my biggest accomplishment, man. And then also, you know, I had a PBS documentary come out earlier this year about my story and you know, you know how I was raised and everything like that. So that definitely was a game changer, bro. Just seeing my face on the you know on a world stage, you know, with my story being told. I had a young lady approach me at a speaking event uh, last week, actually, at UAMS, and uh, she uh, when I came off stage. She's like, hey, you know, I'm a, a foreign student, exchange student from Germany. And she had the accent and everything. And she was just like, I seen your documentary. Like, I'm, you should be really proud of yourself. And, you know, you inspire me, man. It's just like, I didn't even know how to take that. <laughs> I don't even think it, they, I don't even think it hit me until I got in the car. I was like, dang, this, somebody from Germany just said that they seen my documentary. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So to me, that's major, bro. Because to me, bro, it's not about how many accolades I can get. It's about how many people I can reach. Um, so yeah, up. man, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's it. That's what's up, man. I mean, one of the biggest things I take from just listening to you talk about, you know, all the things that you've done and accomplished, man, is like, you always are um, one of the people that I see, you know, when you take a step up, you bring somebody with you and you inspire the next person to, you know what I'm saying, level up as well and get to those different levels of where they can get to their point where they've reached that success. And so I always hear good things about the youth being inspired by you talking. 
and even young adults, uh, you know what I'm saying, being inspired by your story as well. And so uh, the, the documentary is called Rose uh, Rose that Grew From Concrete, correct? Rose That Grew From Concrete, yep. Yeah, that's my favorite poem, man. It's a Tupac poem. I'm sure you know about it. Really? Uh, man, that's bro, that's my favorite poem. Um, so consequently, I didn't name the documentary. It's not necessarily, I didn't produce it, but the yeah. producer actually called me and said, this is what we're going to name this documentary. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, so. It's letting the world know how big of an influence Tupac still is to this day. Yeah. And also his, his phrase line of, um, I might not change the world, but I'll spark the mind and wheel. Yeah. Um, I think he knew what he was talking about when he said that. I think he had, I think he, I think he was really in a spiritual space when he said what he said, when he, when he said, I'm going to spark the mind that wheel. Like he, he, that was said with intention. That wasn't just him talking or laughing, like somewhere in his spirit, he knew, okay, even after my time is up, I'm going to influence you. Right. So I definitely think that's something that stuck with me, man. And I was just honored to, have my story told up under the banner of his ideology, you feel me? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, man. And you know what I'm saying? Another thing I take away from you too as well is that, you know, you understand that in order for some people to believe in themselves, they have to see themselves in other people. And so when you talk about your experiences and all the things you accomplished, you're inspiring that next black child, man, that is, you know what I'm saying? Uh, looking for some direction and, and if they need to see an example of something in order to feel like they can accomplish it they can look at you and your story and feel that and so uh next uh wrap things up but uh my next question is man what inspired you to start your nonprofit, the movement and what are some of the things that the movement is doing to help uh improve the quality of life for people in our community okay so the movement started um I think honestly, personally, I think the movement started when I was laying in the bed, you know, with 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 my longtime girlfriend. Now I was at her house and we was watching the George Floyd riots and the George Floyd uproar. And like you said, the summer of resistance. And um, we just watching and I was just like, wow, like we had just went to go see Queen and Slim. And we were just talking about like, dang, it'd be cool to go see a podcast. You feel me? I mean, not a podcast, I mean a protest. I'm on a podcast, I'm in a podcast mode. But <laughs> <laughs> it'd be cool to go see a protest. You know, not unfortunately like that, it happened that way, but like, you know, in Little Rock, bro, like it's just not a, not not in my, in my lens, right? I could be wrong, but in my lens and my reality, bro, I just don't see Little Rock. Whereas ever seen Little Rock is one of those like people flooding the streets and like, let's really raise our voice. Um, I just never really, you know, and so I, I, I was just like, you know, something got to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like right here in Little Rock. And I felt responsible, bro, like a big brother or something in the moment. Like, you know, like we got to do something. We got to say something. It won't even just do. We got to say something. And so um, I hooked up with, you know, a few people, one of the people, your 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 long-term friend, Dricker Wright. Mm -hmm. And uh I, I had just only met Drika like bare. I didn't even really meet Drika. I had a camera one day and she's like, you take pictures? I'm like, yeah. And uh, she's like, you take pictures of my event? I said, yeah. And then I think that was the conversation after that. But um, <laughs> the kind of way we connected through, you know, uh, uh, 
the I think I had posted something about the George Floyd. We connected and we ended up, you know, brainstorming away and Oya the poet. Um, we were all on the phone on three way. Mm-hmm. And he's like, let's let's make this happen, y'all. Let's go out here and you know, not even necessarily protest. Let's pre- let's prepare a safe space for angry people to event themselves, for hurt people, vulnerable people to really be able to say how they feel, right? Because we can go out here and do all this yelling and screaming, but if people don't feel heard by the people that they're yelling and screaming with, it's just a shouting contest. Um, so it wasn't just a protest, man. It was a time for networking, voter registration, um, singers to put on performances, dancers youth man it was just a time for the community to really get to know each other because that's what was important to us in that moment you feel me um but also it was a it was a it was a double war it was that war um of you know building a community uh a relation and also the war of like you know trying to cut through the system which everybody was trying to do at the time and kind of create and make space in that area too which created the the, the arkansas task force you know with the governor and everything so yeah um, that was just kind of, but you know, after the, you know, everything had kind of dwindled, you know, we didn't stop there. You know, we continued to, you know, do backpack drives, you know, um, feeding people that were experiencing um, homelessness and, and just, just different things we were doing, man. Cause you know, you just care. Um, and I, I'm not one of those deep people to say, well, you know, it was just this certain ideology and it's real deep and it's a secret. And let me I just care. Right. Um, and so I, I we 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 gambled with okay is the movement really a good name for us because we don't want to sound like you know we just freedom fighters every day and we're gonna go in somebody's waffle house tomorrow and like boycott you know like but as we see now bro the movement is becoming a name for everything like you see stores using it you see organizations using it you see everybody using the phrase line movement or like what's your movement or you know, like even the youth today, they say, what's the move? You know, like it's becoming like a a, a word for our generation. So, you know, it kind of mm-hmm. stuck. Um, it kind of stuck, man. And we just took off with it. That's what's up, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad to see that, you know what I'm saying, uh, what sparked the idea to uh, start the movement has resonated with the community and stayed with the community continue to keep on doing work. And so, uh, and it's great to see all the work that you've accomplished, man, in a short period of time, man. You're, you know what I'm saying, you've done a lot. And so, um, I want to give you big ups, but before we do that, and then we end everything, I want to make sure that, you know, the listeners stand in tune with what we got going on at the Folding Chair Podcast. And so the last segment is always called unplug your microwave where we step outside of this society where we expect change to happen with one protest, one tweet, one Facebook status, or one phone call or text message. We got to understand that like some of these issues can be changed in the short term, but some of the stuff that's working on in the community, it takes long-term planning, strategic planning, and uh, especially when- That's a fact, bro. I'm glad you brought that up because some of the stuff that we're advocating for, we won't see in our lifetime. Exactly. Exactly. You just won't. <laughs> Especially when we talk about racial inequities and, and social awareness towards racial injustice. And so, you know, if you if you could drop some jewels for the next generation and for the people out there in the community, long-term strategy-wise, when you unplug the microwave, what are some of the things that you feel like you and others should be doing to, so we can play the long game out there? 
Um, I think listening to the youth is powerful. Um, because who knows more about the world that we live in than the youth, right? Um, they're experiencing it for the first time, so they have a fresher feeling about life. They're 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 wide they're wide their eyes are wide open, and I think that you know sometimes adults and you know people that are gatekeepers or become leaders we get too far away from the youth right mm -hmm. and um if you really want to tap in with what's going on in the neighborhood or what's going on with technology ask a kid i promise they'll be able to tell you like they'll be able to tell you instantly what's going on but i just kind of think that we've gotten away from that right um and i think we should you know bridge that but i think with our generation growing up it was don't ask don't tell as a kid you stay in the kid's place stay in the child's place you didn't talk while grown-ups were talking right mm -hmm. but i think that that's something that our generation is breaking saying yeah. oh, what does the kid what, what does the youth really have to say you know um because when they speak it's always powerful so um definitely that piece right there man is just it's just major honestly like listening to the youth and you don't have to do anything I think we in this do, do, do culture, right? It's doism of like, do, what are you doing? Do, do, do. And, you know, sometimes it's about like, what are we observing? What are we listening to? What are we being receptive to? So we can move forward too, because doism is one thing, okay? I go to work, I get on Instagram, I do this, I go work out. It's just like, do, do, do. But like, that's that's one piece of it. You know what I'm saying? We got to make sure we sitting back and they actually bring a youth to the table, you know, what they fold and share. You know, so they can have a voice in where we're going because we see oftentimes, you know, we, I know in my generation of people that I talk to or my sandbox of people, we resent some of our elders. Yeah. Over listen to us, right? We felt like, you know, a lot of things were swept up on the rug. A lot of things still to this day are just like taboo because no one listened to what we had to say. Um, so I, I definitely think listening to the youth and, and, and the second piece of that in terms of the long-term strategy uh, is health. I think health, I, you can't fight no war if you sick. Like you can't mental war, emotional war, social justice war. You can't fight no war if you, if you, if you sick, right? People talking about going to war. Like how you gonna go to war? Everybody's smoking black and mouse. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're gonna be out, out of breath on the battlefield. So uh, well, how you gonna go to war if you you just sitting up I ain't trying to shame nobody, but if you never drink water, you, you know what I'm saying? Like you have bad health practices as a, as a person or as a community, like we got to start to eat to live. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not perfect on it. You know, it's some things that I need to cut back on as well. You know, some things that I like, but sometimes I'm just like, okay, you know, as a black man, I know prostate cancer is, is, is creeping in black men's doors in their forties. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, certain sugars I need to cut out now if I really want to, you know, on, on a, I want to be healthy enough to be, a, be considered a leader in my 40s, right? Um, Tupac had a line where he said that he felt like America took the life and soul out of a 30-year-old black man. And he said you don't see a lot of 30-year-old black men hooping and hollering and running around because by then, you know, America didn't drag them down. Um, and I just thought that was always interesting the way he put that because a lot of people disagree with that. But if you really look at the context of what he was saying, I'll, I'll be 30 next month, bro. Like, there's a lot of stuff I just don't feel like doing no more. <laughs> I feel 30. <laughs> so, um, man, it's just, I, I definitely think health is a big one, man. Like, you know, fitness, stretching, yoga. Like, I, I definitely think that's that's big and that's major because I, I see my big mama. 
she's you know barely can walk because of diabetes. My dad has diabetes. My my um my uh my grandma on my dad's side died from diabetes. You know, so it's a big thing. So it's just like, all right, I see all these people dying from diabetes. Do I continue to eat the same way, or do I switch it up? You know, for my kids and their kids, right? So we can have a little bit more longevity because. You know, money is one thing, you know what I'm saying? But I want to be healthy enough to enjoy finances. I want to be healthy enough to go to the beach, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm 50, you feel me? So health, man, just be listening to the youth, you know, and just keeping our health intact. I think health and, and listening, them, them the long games for me, man. Man, yeah, you, man, you, you spoke a word, man. We got to continue uh, or, you know what I'm saying, start to do youth engagement for sure. And like you said, we got to take care of ourselves, man. We, you know, we want to make sure that when we retire, we enjoying our retirement and we uh, battling illnesses and sicknesses the whole time when we in retirement too. So we got, right. we got to do that because we need our elders around to help God too and be visionaries. So that, that's dope. And that's, a, that's great jewels for the people to listen to, man. I'm plugging a microwave. Man, we're going to get up out of here. Man, it's been a great interview talking to you, Tim, bro. You got any final announcements before we close it down, bro? Man, I, I my, my final announcement, man, I got um, a backpack drive uh, on Wright Avenue and Wolf on August the 20th. I'm looking for volunteers, backpacks, school supplies, anything that you want to contribute. Sponsored by uh, my nonprofit, the Arkansas Movement for Change, in partnership with Pilgrim Valley Baptist Church. Uh, uh -huh. Anybody that's, that, that, that's passionate about, you know, anything as far as back to school, you know, teacher equity, voter registration, they'll all be out there. Uh, last announcement is I think Osiris Bali is dope and I think he's too humble. Um, <laughs> I think he doesn't really get the flowers that he deserves, man. The stuff that I was watching you do when I was in what year you come out of a Central? What was that? Uh, man, man, I didn't even graduate from Central. I actually went there for a little bit, but I, I, I graduated from McClellan back in the day, man. So I just been grinding ever since then, you know. Right, right, right. But I've been hearing your name already before I. Yeah. Even the space man of you know with the spoken words you was doing and and things yeah. like that and so man just you know i i think i think you know in the, in the black community we got this fear of credit financial <laughs> credit and social credit like it's cool to give yourself some credit you feel me so man I, it's been a good it's been good being on your podcast dog and uh hopefully we can link sometime soon bro and have more of these discussions man most definitely man we're gonna get things popping i appreciate you man i received the flowers and I'm throwing it right back at you too, man, because you're doing a lot of positive work out here. Man, keep on giving the people uh, the empowerment they need, man, so we all become strong leaders out here, man. All right? All right, man. Let's wrap it up. Right. Man. Peace, man. It's been the Photo Chip Podcast, powered by the Arkansas Public Policy Panel. We'll see y'all. Yeah.